Let's pray for the Word. Father, tonight I thank you for your Word. I ask that that we get revelation tonight. Lord, we didn't come to hear me. We came to hear you. And so let us gain revelation from your Word this evening. I pray, Lord, that you give us direction in our hearts. Show us what we need to do and how we need to behave. Lord, we thank you and we honor you this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you know, they've been talking about the Great Reset. There's supposed to be a big reset in the world financially in all these ways. Well, in my opinion, it is time for a reset. I believe our nation needs to return to its foundation. It needs to be reset on the foundation. It needs to go where it was supposed to go. What's being built today I don't believe is at all what our founding fathers would have envisioned. This isn't what they they were after. This was to be the land of the free. It's to be the beacon of liberty to the world. That's what what they envisioned. The Bible was the foundational document in all of the writings, the Constitution and and, and all those, those things. Christianity was the way of life. In the way of truth, and that's what that's what this nation was founded on. That's what we did, and we've strayed far, far from that foundation. And I'm thinking about just in since 1960, in the in the last 60 years, it's we've we've strayed far from the foundation. It was already straying before that somewhat, but in the last 60 years, and especially in the last 30, this nation has moved drastically away from the vision that God had from the foundation. The psalmist asking. Psalm 11.3, he says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundation is being destroyed. It's time for the righteous to act now before that, that happens. As believers, we must learn to refuse the deception of what's being spoken, what's being shown to us. None of, much of it is being shown to us as entertainment. Much of it is being shown to us as education. We must stand firm against it. We must not allow ourselves to be deceived by the culture of this day. And they're saying that if you don't don't agree with what we say, there's something wrong with you. No, there's nothing wrong with us. There's something wrong when the culture refuses to acknowledge God. So we, we we, we must refuse it. We must stand against the lies of the enemy when he begins to whisper them in our ears. I believe today the church in this country is at a crossroads. I believe we're, we're at a very pivotal time, pivotal time. The question is, will the church continue down the path of lukewarm, Christian-like entertainment industry that is, that is watered-down sermon, watered-down teaching, or will the church arise from sleep and truly affect change as necessary to reestablish the godly foundational heritage of this nation. The church needs to rise up. The scripture says in Proverbs 14:34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness. Righteousness is, is one of those great Bible words that literally if you take out the O-U-S, it just rightness is what it means. Being right, right as God sees it. It says rightness exalts a nation. Exalts just means to be lifted up. We understand that 
as a nation, the United States has been above many of the others. We've been lifted up because of our stand for God, because this nation was founded as a nation that wants to love God. And we've been lifted up. And the problem that the rest of the world wants to do is pull us down to their level. And we don't have to do that. They can rise to ours, but we don't need to be put down to theirs. It says sin is, is a, a reproach. The word sin here is an offense against God and its penalty. You understand every sin has penalty built into it? With the sin, there is the penalty. It's already there. It's already built into it. And that sin is a reproach. That means a shame, a reproach or a reproof. Sin is a shame. The sin and the punishment are a shame to any people. That, that means any nation. So we understand that, that as sin abounds, grace much more abounds. But in order for that grace to much more abound, there need to be people who can be receptors, receptacles of the grace. We recognize in Scripture that grace comes to people who believe. We're saved by grace through faith. We stand in this grace by faith. We must be believers of the grace, and that's what this nation needs. It needs people who will stand and believe God for the nation. I think many of them are in this room right now. And we just believe him. We stand believing what he said. It's, it, listen, it's time for the church to take a stand for the word, for the standard of God's word in these times we live in. I ran across an article this week. Uh, I don't know if you know who George Barna is. George Barna is, is the, the head of the Cultural Research Center in Arizona. And he, he, he studies the culture and Christian issues. And, and I read about a shocking number of pastors, pastors, head pastors, who do not have a, do not have a biblical worldview. Now that's a sad thought if you think about it. Pastors that don't have a biblical worldview. I mean, and you can tell they don't have a biblical worldview when they say things like, well, not, not all things, God didn't have a lot of absolutes. Truth is relevant. And you can tell that particular pastor doesn't have a biblical worldview because that doesn't agree with scripture, right? So if I were to ask you this, you don't have to raise your hand or give me an answer, but if you just thought about it, if you counted all the pastors in the United States, how many, what, what percentage would you think would have, would, would have a Christian worldview? See, I'd like to think 80. Maybe 70% of them do. But that's not even close. According to the survey by Barna, only one in three pastors has a biblical worldview in this nation. It's really just a little over that. It's 37%. One in three. Has, that's a sad thought when you think about what's happening to Christians in this nation. It is no wonder that Christians are illiterate of the word. They don't even know how to take a stand to fight against Satan because they don't have any idea what the word says. No clue because the pastor has no clue. So, and, and that's a shock right there that, that Christian pastors don't possess a worldview, but they have a, there's a bigger group of them that have that worldview than other groups. For example, just 2% of parents of preteens in this nation have a Christian worldview. 2%. That's a terrible thought. 2%. 
in the times we live, the church has an opportunity. I mean, a tremendous opportunity to have influence in this nation. But when you think about the pastors that don't have a worldview, you think about the, the worldview of the leaders of the church is indistinguishable from the world. There's no way that the church can influence the world. We can't capitalize on the opportunity that's in front of us because of the worldview, because people don't have a view of the word. And, and, and you think in, in light of that, the senior pastors don't have a worldview. What about everybody else in the church? This is, what, this is what Charles Barnes said. He said, keep in mind, a person's worldview primarily develops before the age of 13, then goes through a period of refinement during their teens and their 20s. From a worldview perspective, a church's most important ministers are the children's pastor and the youth pastor. He said, discovering that seven out of every eight of those pastors lack a biblical worldview. Seven out of eight don't have a Christian, a, 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 a biblical worldview. It says, that explains why so few, so few people in the, nation, in the nation's youngest generations are developing a heart and a mind for biblical principles and ways of life and why our society seems to have run wild over the last decade. Think about it. The, the children, one in eight children's pastors has a biblical worldview. That ought to cause us to go home tonight and weep for the children of this nation and for the future of this nation. I mean, let me get to some good stuff in a minute. If the churches are failing our children, by and large they are. I'm just, just being honest with you. And then they go to public schools that are anti-God, anti-church, anti-Bible. Listen, we have a real problem when we're talking about the future of America. Something has to happen that is, that is bigger than they are. It begins with some people taking a stand and learning how to fight in the Spirit for our nation. Fight in the Spirit for our own lives. Fight to, to stop the enemy's control. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, speaking of Satan, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. As believers, we must turn on the light. We can no longer afford to just blend in. We can no longer afford as churches to hide in our religious bunkers. We must learn to fight a fight of faith for ourselves and for those around us. We've got to put the Word of God back in the center of churches and put it foremost in our own hearts and minds. We've got to take the Word. We must fight. We've got to put the fight back in the hearts of believers. I remember as a child, a young boy singing that we're in the Lord's army. And we had the little motions where we marched in the infantry and all the things because the mentality in those days was that we were to fight for God that we were soldiers for God, that our lives weren't ours to do what we wanted to with, but our lives were to surrender to Him. I remember I got saved uh, partially because I was afraid to go to hell, which wasn't a bad thing, but I got saved because I understood this Jesus was my only way to heaven. And we need to put, and there's a fight that must be fought to get that back. 
So here's my text. It'll be the text probably for the rest of the time I teach this summer. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. And you've heard this before. The apostle says to Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. Now, that tells me something right away. We need to fight. There should be some kind of fighting going on. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. The word professed and profession are the same word in the Greek language as the word confess and confession. The Greek word is homo logeo, which means to say the same thing. It's talking about agreement. It's agreeing with someone and saying it out loud. That's what that's talking about. It says, it says we are to fight the good fight of faith. Tonight we're going to begin to look at the good fight. Wouldn't it be fun to know how to fight and how to win? It's not a good fight if you lose. I'm just going to tell you, I remember growing up and the Cowboys would lose and somebody would say, well, it was a good game. And I would say, no, it wasn't. If we didn't win, it didn't matter what the score was. Even if we lost by one point, it wasn't a good game unless we won. In fact, it was a good game if we won by 60 points. That was when it was a good game. All right. The good fight of faith is a fight we win. And yet I find many Christians don't understand how to win. Don't even understand how to fight the fight. Fight the good fight of faith. First of all, we, we must get free from the ignorance and confusion about faith. There are a lot of people out there who've taught a lot of things about faith that are absolutely humanistic in nature. When faith is all about me and me getting what I want, that's a problem because that's not the purpose of faith at all. Right? It's a good fight, but it's a faith fight. And when people have, have this false sense of faith that if I do X, Y, and Z and I believe God and then God has to answer me because now he owes me something, which is, by the way, is not faith. It becomes a contract and it becomes work. That's not what I'm talking about. But when that happens to people, then all of a sudden, when it seems like it doesn't work, they decide that God has failed them and that faith doesn't work. Can I tell you tonight, real faith works. It works. We just have to know how to work it. Part of the problem is, sometimes we just don't see things the right way and we think it doesn't work. Well, so this happened and it didn't work. Well, did it not work or did we just not see it right? I found out that if, I, if, if something happens and it doesn't seem like it works, it's me that doesn't understand it, not God. Some people, when we get to heaven, we're going to spend the first thousand years or so, because I've heard people say this before, when I, well, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to ask God this, and I'm going to ask God. No, you're not. No, you're not. There's going to be revelation coming by the Spirit to your spirit, and you're going, for the first thousand years, you're probably going, oh, 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 of course, oh, I get it. I get it. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not so. Just because with your eyes you don't see it doesn't mean it's not so. I don't know if you read the book of Job every year, but if you read the book of Job, you're going to find out that, that the whole book, the first part of, the whole, first part of all of it, is Job asking, why? Why was I born? Why didn't I die? Why? 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 And his friends come. They're not really friends, but they're his guys that come and talk to him. And they say, why don't you admit you're a sinner? Why? 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 And all of a sudden, if you read that book, God shows up. 
<laughs> and he never said why. It'd be great if God said, now, Job, here's why. Here's why. That would have helped everybody, right? The just shall live by faith, not by answers. That's a pretty good one right there. We live by faith. The Bible says it five times, I believe. And so he never said, here's why. He's, I love the way God handled it. He shows up and he, instead of saying, here's why, he said, where were you? Over and over, he said, well, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did that? Where were you? And Job, every single time, answered, I, I don't know. He did not know. The issue is what to do when you don't know why. And there's a fight to fight at that intersection. I, I, I don't know why. If you have to know why in order to trust God and to stand on His Word, then you never trusted Him in the beginning. We don't have to know why. We will always face things that we don't have the answers to. We simply don't have them. We don't have to know everything to fight the fight of faith. Now this is kind of good, right? It's a faith fight, not a knowledge fight. Not an answer fight. I don't have to know all the answers to win the fight. Isn't that fun? I don't have to know why Aunt Hilda died. Don't have to know. I just have to fight the fight of faith. Faith is a matter of trust. Faith is when you look up through the mess that you made and through the tears and you say, I trust you. I believe you. I will never not trust you. That's what we're talking about. God, I don't know how, but you will bring me through. Anybody in this room ever been through something and you're on the other side of it and you're thinking, how will I ever get through it? And today you're looking back, it's like, I still don't know how I got through it, but I got through it. Because God brought you through. Because you didn't quit on Him. But, 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 but what if I die doing that? What if I say that and I die? Well, what better way to get, go to heaven than that? Wouldn't it be great if your last words were, when you bring your last breath and you say, I believe God. And you're gone. Then the next moment you're standing before God and the Father says, good job. Come over here. Come over here and get in my lap. You stayed with me. You stayed the whole time. I mean, come on. I'll explain it to you. We need to fight a fight of faith. Faith is being sold out to what God said in spite of all the circumstances that surround me. In spite of all the fears that the devil is trying to bring into my mind. That's what the fight of faith is about. It's staying with God. Man, we got to fight. In the world, we're going to have to fight to hold on to trust and faith in what God has said. There's the fight. 
we must learn how to fight against anything that tries to shake us away from believing Him, trusting Him, whatever it is. We must have some kind of spiritual backbone and conviction to stay with Him when it doesn't seem like it's working out. No matter what else, what everybody else is saying around us. You know, you need to quit believing that Bible stuff. You need to give up on that. It's not going to happen for you. You've been trying to believe God for that for a long, just give up. No, 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 no. I believe him. That needs to be what we say. And stay with it. Yeah, yeah but, 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 I, but I had to get surgery that time. So what? Did you, did you get healed? Yeah, but God didn't. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He gave somebody the understanding of medicine enough to get you into that room to get them to operate on you. Yeah, but I want the kind of miracle that comes just when I pray and then I feel better. I do too. I do too. But you know what? I don't have to understand the fight to fight. I still believe God. I still believe Him. That, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Now I'm going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Oh man, now this is experience writing to youth. The aged apostle writing to the young pastor. He said, verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of things I can preach. We can preach our feelings. We can preach our emotions. We can preach on popular topics. We can preach about felt needs. We can preach about microaggressions. We can preach about all kinds of things. But the apostle said, we are to preach the word. Preach the word. He goes on to say, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. By the way, there are not a lot of churches these days preaching the word. Because the scripture is not the cornerstone of what's being said. And it's not, it's not spoken of as the value of what's being said. It's used as a reference. Almost, almost like you did a term paper and you have a footnote of somebody else who quoted something. The scripture needs to be the, the cornerstone of all of it. He says, I'm sorry, I got lost my point place here. In season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap, themselves, heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The time will come. I believe the time has come and is now that people don't want to hear good word preaching and teaching. Don't want to hear it anymore. I want to hear something. I want to hear something more relevant to the time. More relevant. What is more relevant than the answer? And that's what's in the word. I mean, people want to hear what they want to hear. I heard a preacher say it this way one time. Preacher, preacher, scratch my ear. Tell me what I want to hear. <laughs> Itching ears. I want to go, to the, I want to go where, where they're preaching what I want to hear. Because what I need to hear is how I can discipline my children without spanking them. Seriously? Find me the verse and I, I, I'll go with you. I'm sorry, that's not my message tonight. I mean, but that, that's, that's what happens. It says that they will. It says that they will turn their ears away from the truth. I have always felt like that if people could just get 
scriptural knowledge, they'd be okay. Because the scriptures does say, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In Isaiah, it says, my people are taken captive for lack of knowledge. And I thought, if we could just tell them the truth, they would be okay. We could just tell them the truth. Well, that isn't what that verse just said, though. It says, they've heard the truth, but they've turned their ears away from the truth. Just watch the news one night, and you're going to realize that not everybody wants to hear the truth. <laughs> Ignorance is a big problem, no, no question about it. Ignorance is a problem, but not everybody wants to hear the truth. They don't want to turn to the truth. Some, it says in that verse, it says, it go, it says that they, it says they'll turn their ears away from the truth and shall be turned to, unto fables. Some people would rather go to church and hear fables rather than the truth. That's just what they want to hear. They don't want to hear there's anything that, that they have to do. When somebody is preaching or talking to you, you need to ask, especially if they're talking about God. Well, I believe God. I believe God just this. I believe God is that. What you need to ask is, where are the scriptures that you base that on? Well, I don't know where they are, but it's in there somewhere. If you don't know where they are, dude, don't be talking to me about it. Where are the verses? Show me where it is. Well, I mean, it's just got to be the way. When they say, and I hear this, I've heard this at church, many times at church. Well, you know, God answers prayer. Yes, no, and wait a while. Show me the verse. I challenge you. It's not there. There's no verse that says that in the Bible. Or how about this one? I don't want to step on your toes too bad, but how about this one? Well, it's just not the will of God to heal everybody. Show me the verse. It's not in the Bible. Somebody made that up to coincide with their circumstances. It's simply not in the Bible. How about this one? Well, you know, Jesus always, he always taught love and acceptance. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? Show me the verse. Jesus taught repentance and faith and the kingdom of God. It's like, well, man, Randy, that's pretty nitpicky. Wait a minute. We're going to fight a fight of faith. Faith comes by hearing the anointed word not somebody's opinion. If we're going to fight and win, we better have the word. Those people come and say, well, if you were really a Christian, you would. I've been told that before. And I ask the question, where do you read that in the Bible? Have you read the Bible? Have you opened the Bible? Because people say that have not even opened the Bible normally. What? No, but I know what's in there. Really? Show it to me. That, see, that, that kind of stuff, we need to find out where is the Scripture. Can I just say this? I'm probably going to say it many times through this series. For something to be scriptural, what does it have to have? Scripture. <laughs> it cannot be scriptural if there are no Scriptures to go with it. It's not scriptural if there are no Scripture. You need to ask yourself that question over and over. Is there Scripture to go with this thought I'm thinking? This circumstance I'm facing, how do I fight it? Do I fight it with my feelings 
or do I fight it by faith with the Word of God? I'm getting ahead of myself here. Some people will change their whole life because they read a book about one verse in the Bible that some guy has this conjecture about all these things that happened in, this, in that situation, and they'll change their whole life and follow it, and it's not even Scripture. And the author said it wasn't Scripture. And it changed their whole life. We need to find out where, where is the Scripture? Where is the Scripture? What, what makes it scriptural? Let me read on from, from first, Second Timothy. The apostle says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Then he goes on to say, now he's elderly, he says, Now, for now, I am ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Man, I, he said, my departure is at hand. I mean, I, I was at the airport this last week. They have departures and they have arrivals. In this world, we have departures and we have arrivals. I mean, about every second and a half, two people depart somewhere on the planet. They're departing. They're going to one of two places. There are more arrivals than there are departures. But I mean, he said, my departure. He wasn't afraid of dying. He wasn't afraid of death. I mean, he understood. He was just departing. And when I, did, when I, when I went to my gate, we, we got out of the Uber. We went, it said departures. We got out, went to our departure, and we got on the plane, and then we landed in Lubbock Sunday afternoon. Well, if it's a departure, that means you're going someplace else, right? You're going to land some. And I wasn't disappointed that I got here. Even though the, the guy was, you know, telling us that, you know, Lubbock is so flat, you can watch your dog run away for two weeks and stuff like that. <laughs> I think he was from here, actually. But it's a departure. We ought never to be afraid of death, ever. Paul wasn't afraid to die. It's only a departure. For someplace far better. Here this apostle, he's traveled the world. He's done what God told him to do. I mean, man, the guy went places and he preached revival, preached riot. Sometimes it was the same sermon that did the same thing in two groups of people. But he, he was ready. He said, I'm ready to be offered. I'm not scared. That's what we need to be. When departure times comes, when that time comes, we need to be ready. And we want to say what Paul said. I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I'm happy. Make sure you don't depart until you finish, though. I finished my course. I've done what I'm supposed to do. It's time to go after we're finished. If you finish early, God will accept you, but it just leaves more work for the rest of us. And when we get to heaven, we're going to go to your mansion. And we're going to say, why did you leave early? <laughs> we had to do all this work that you, that you left behind. I'm just kidding. But we want to go when it's time. We've got to get there. Let me go back to, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, fight the good fight of faith, verse 12. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession, or confessed a good confession before many witnesses. Let's read the next verse. 
It's amazing how much you find if you just read the next verse sometimes. Because the whole thought is in that one verse. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. That's an interesting group. Notice this. How do we fight the good fight of faith? The answer is, is in the Scripture. Like I say, many times the answer comes when we just read one more verse. The next verse. I mean, we got to recognize the Bible wasn't written. When, when Paul wrote this, he didn't write, put 12 and write that, and then 13 and write. No, he wrote it as one thought. It's just one letter. All right? So we need, we need to make sure we look at all of it. We need to put it in context. The first thing, though, that's interesting to me, we're going to talk about fighting this fight for a while, but the first thing he mentions with fighting a fight is your confession. Do you, do you put that together here? He says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, wherein thou art called, and hast confessed a good confession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things before Jesus Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Three times. Right there, when he talks about the fight of faith, he talks about a good confession. He talks about the words that you speak. The good fight, the good fight of faith begins with a good confession. In other words, we need to have some fighting words. We need to learn how to fight with fighting words. There's power in holding on to faith-filled words, and there's defeat in the relinquishing of those words. The scripture says, well, this is according to the, 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 uh, the, the Jewish theologians from the, from the Jewish uh, Kumash, which are the Torah, which were scrolls. Written, it's the scrolls in book form. But they had all these commentaries from these ancient rabbis, and they called God a speaking spirit. God is a speaking spirit. We can see that's in there. God spoke and light came. All right? In our lives, speaking has lost its value. I mean, it's reduced to chatting. It is empty words. Jesus called them idle words that are unproductive. It's lost it. Words, and we've talked about this before, I don't know if in this group or the other group, but we've said that words are containers. What you put in the word determines what it carries. They contain. In other words, I mean, I can say the word H-E-L-L-O, hello. I can say it, in, it, I can fill it with something that'll change the whole meaning of it. I can say, hello. Or I can say, hello. 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 I mean, you can fill it with all kinds of things and you can change the meaning of that word. You can fill it with something, okay? You can put fear in words, you can put hate in words, or you can put faith in words that agree with the word of God. Speaking those words. Listen, there, according to what we just read, there is no better example than the master. Jesus is the heavyweight champion of the universe with using his words to fight the fight of faith. It's like in this corner, Jesus of Nazareth, son of God, the heavyweight champion of the world who's won every match by a knockout. In this corner is some wimpy spirit that has no hope to even be in here. Because Jesus, it points out Jesus is, is, the, is, the, is the one who did it. He fought with Father-pleasing Victory, faith-filled words. I mean, the Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith is released through our words. Now, here it says in verse 12, it says the fight is about laying hold of something. Why would it say that? I'll tell you why. Because there's someone that's trying to take it away from you. 
There's, the devil wants to take away what you believe. He wants to take away your willingness to stand and fight for God. The fight isn't trying to get God to do something for you. He's already done everything for you. The fight isn't trying to get God to defeat the devil. The devil is already defeated. Do you realize that? He's been defeated. The fight is not letting anyone or anything take you away from, pull you away from what you've laid hold of by faith, which is the word of God. As soon, we know this from the, the parable that Jesus told, as soon as the word is sown, the seed is sown, the enemy tries to come and steal it from you. He will do everything he can to make you part with the word. And then if he can't just steal it right away, all these thoughts will come. All these circumstances will come. All these things will come to try to choke out the word because that's where the fight is. If he can just get you to release it, you've already laid hold of it, but he wants you to release it. Listen, you understand tonight that the devil cannot stop God, right? He cannot stop the word. He can't stop the Holy Spirit. He can't stop any of those things, but he can stop you if he can steal the word from your heart. And he knows it. And that's what he wants to do. So our option, only option is we either surrender to him or we resist him. Now, if we resist him, he only has one option, and that is to flee. He has to flee if we'll resist him. But he's going to try to worm his way into your mind. He's going to try to get you feel a certain way to make you let go of what you believe unless you're willing to fight. And I hear it, well, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> then you're a prisoner. You will be a prisoner, and he will hold you as prisoner. We must become fighters. Well, I leave him alone, and he leaves me alone. Right. You make a deal with the devil, he is a liar. He is a liar. And he will act like he's leaving you alone until the trap springs on you. We must make a decision to be good fighters in faith. We saw it's called the good confession. So the good confession goes with the good fight. That verse 13 says that the Father and Jesus are watching as to whether we'll fight the fight with our confession. That's what verse 13 said. Jesus and the Father want to see you do what Jesus did. Fight the fight by laying hold with a good confession. So let's ask some questions here. How does Jesus fight? That's how we want to fight, right? Let's look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. This is pretty interesting. It's talking about Jesus. The Apostle John said in 116, And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Why would you have a two-edged sword? To cut the bread at dinner time? To trim the trees? To fight. Jesus fights with a sword that comes out of his mouth. A sharp two-edged sword. It says, in his countenance was as the sun in his strength. A two-edged sword is a weapon, and that came out of his mouth. One chapter over, in chapter 2, verse 16. Jesus is talking to the church at Pergamum, and they are 
holding on to a, a doctrine of uh, 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 that wasn't in the Word of God, and uh, as a group of people that had had mixed the Scripture with the culture. Sounds a little bit like the church of today, doesn't it? And they had mixed it. Here's what Jesus said to them. He said, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Wait a minute. Jesus said he would fight against them with the sword of his mouth. Jesus doesn't fight with fists. It's not a flesh and blood fight. Flesh and blood are not our problem. Now, they may seem like they are. They're not the problem. Jesus fights with his sword from his mouth. And we know that what is the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. That's how he fights. The Scripture talks about casting down imaginations and and thoughts and feelings that are backed by spiritual attack. We can't fight those things by slapping at them with our hands. We don't fight in the physical realm. We must learn how to fight a different way. It's not a mental fight. It's a faith fight. In the, Bible, the Bible says in Revelation that Jesus leads this army out of heaven on a horse and wipes out the enemies of the Lord. And we're in that, we're in that army, you know, we come down with him. You've got to be some kind of fool to go up against the Lord. Do you know that? I mean, that is the answer to the question, how dumb can you be? All of these are going to go up against the Lord. Anyway, how does Jesus do it? He doesn't do it with guns. Not with knives. He does it with the sword of his mouth. The same way that you must do it. He believes in his heart and speaks with his mouth words that are filled with faith, that are filled with power. The beginning of a spiritual fight is with what you say. Listen, what was created with the spoken word, because this whole universe was created by God speaking, is still affected by the word that's spoken. I mean, When you face an enemy, lying thoughts that are trying to get you to turn loose of what you need to be holding on to, what do you do? do? What's the first thing you do? I'll tell you what the first thing you ought to do is you need to say, I need to load my mouth. You need to load your mouth with the Word of God in face of those things that are attacking you. You need to load your mouth. I just need some faith filled words and you need to have a bunch of ammunition already piled up you can just load it in your mouth and you can begin to speak it in in, in spite of the circumstances that way i mean most most christians don't ever say that they don't ever speak up they've gotten away from the word they have itching ears they've not heard enough word to have an arsenal of weaponry to speak the word i'm going to tell you when david went up against goliath and he threw that rock that wasn't the first rock he ever had ever thrown that wasn't the first time he'd ever picked a rock. He knew which rocks to pick. That wasn't the first time that sling had ever seen a rock. You need to be able to put, have word. You need to be practicing with your word. I can just see David out there with all those sheep. Saying, now, now, Fluffy, watch this. I'm going to hit that weed right over there. and just I can see him doing it. He practiced. He practiced. He practiced. He knew exactly how to handle the sling. He knew exactly what kind of rock he needed. Believers... The time to learn how to fight with the Word is not when you're in the middle of the fight. The time to learn how to fight with it is right now, tonight, begin today. That's when we start. And you need to say to yourself, where's the Scripture? Is this in the Bible that I'm getting ready to say? 
I mean, you need to load your mouth. We need to make sure we do it. We're going to have to fight. It's not a slap fight, a knife fight, a gun fight. It's a word fight. Not with empty words, but faith-filled words that you know how to use. Romans 10, 8 and 9 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Can I just say something to you? The victory is close. It's right under your nose. It's in your mouth. It is, if you, if you just can believe in your heart and say it with your mouth, we must confess with our mouth, not with our thoughts. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say confess with your thoughts. No, no. I found out many believers are silent believers. You've got to confess it with your mouth. Confess it with your mouth. You know, a lot of people don't want to confess it with their mouth because it feels weird, Right? To begin to say something that hasn't happened, that, that you can't see a manifestation of. It's like, well, I feel like I'm lying. You can't lie if you're saying what God said because God can't lie. It's not, you're not lying. It's because the devil wants you to be quiet. He never wants you to get this. He doesn't want you to load your mouth. I mean, that's how you got born again, right? You, you believed in your heart. You said with your mouth. And that's got, got where you got born again. You got born again, and a miracle took place. Anytime I've ever heard a Christian say, well, I can't believe for a miracle, I just say, wait a minute. You've already believed for the biggest one that you'll ever get. Well, I just can't believe for another. Well, all the other miracles are, are, are temporal. This one was eternal. And you got it by believing your heart and saying with your mouth. See, we talk a lot about believing, but confession is a part of believing saying what we believe. So we found out Jesus, he, he's the example of fighting with a good confession. The Message Bible says he took his stand and didn't give an inch. We need to learn how to fight with our words. What time did I start? I probably have to stop. Next, next week we'll start with how Jesus fought when he was standing before Pilate. And I mean, I'm telling you, if you read about Jesus standing before Pilate, the confession was perfect. He didn't give an inch because he believed God. And there was nothing Pilate could do. Pilate had the authority to kill him. And before it was over, Pilate was the one who was afraid. And he really didn't want to be in that room with Jesus because Jesus fought the fight with the confession of his mouth. Let's pray. Father, tonight, my prayer is that we have revelation to go forward. My prayer tonight, God, is that we understand that the good fight of faith begins with, with fighting words that are your words. Lord, not that we get what we want, but that you get what you want. So, Father, tonight, I pray in the name of Jesus that we have revelation from you and we move forward in Jesus' name. Amen.